Hi, Husky fans. This is Andrew. This is a brief introduction to the podcast before we get into the meat of it. Just to let you know, we recorded our podcast on Wednesday night. We were joined by Rob Huang from Writing for California. Uh, it was a very interesting preview of the UW-Cal game, which we have since found out has been canceled, unfortunately, due to some very strict contact tracing protocols in the state of California. So if you want to still listen to a preview for a game that isn't happening, we'd love to have you listen. It's an interesting talk. We talk about the game. We talk about the direction of the Cal program. And we talk about some of Rob's favorite memories of uh, his time at Cal and the football program. So there's plenty to listen to, even if you're not interested, or even if you even if you don't get to watch the game that we're previewing. Uh, and if you want to stick around for the second part, uh, Max joins for some analysis of the depth chart release that happened over the weekend. So there's plenty to listen to, even if the game isn't happening. So please do stick around. I'd also like to apologize. The weather was pretty bad on Wednesday night. Uh, so there were a few uh, sound quality issues due to poor internet connections. So hopefully you can overlook that and listen to the uh, relatively mediocre points that we were making. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the confusion. And hopefully we'll have a real game to preview next week. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple. I'm Andrew Bird. We are the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. So, remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a special show tonight. We're joined by Rob Wang, the Right for California writer. He's giving us a, a view from the other side. We're going to talk about the UW-Cal game, although that seems to be in jeopardy as we start recording right now. But we'll still talk about the matchups, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, Cal football and Cal uh, fandom in general. Uh, and then we will come back here with a very special guest talking about the UW depth chart release. But first of all, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, the UW Dog Pound editor, or I think she's the editor, uh, gave me, she joined on our podcast, and we were going to speak for only 30 minutes. We ended up speaking for an hour, um, so uh, <laughs> take a, make of that what you will, but it was a great time, um, and she asked if I could join you guys on this pod, and I'm more than happy to hop on other podcasts, especially when it's talking about the Bears. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, it's it's always nice to hear, you know, we can kind of read between the lines on some of the uh, statistics, well, not statistics this year, but, uh, you know, season previews and things, but having somebody embedded in the program, understanding it uh, firsthand is always has a better idea of what the real strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, but before we get into those strengths and weaknesses, just while we started recording, a couple uh, tweets came out from a Justin Wilcox press conference that there has been a positive COVID test from uh, the Cal football program. Tell us what you know so far and and what you're reading and hearing uh, might happen with the game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't, there's not much. I mean, I just got the news too, so I haven't been able to message anyone or ask anything. But uh, judging from the messages and the, the what did the statement that the athletics department put out, it sounds like it's one guy um, who tested positive, I think today, and then they did the PC uh the antigen test, and then I think the was it the PCR test, um, and they did all that, 
and they're isolating him. They're doing contact tracing. So it's uh, if you're a Husky fan or a Cal fan, like looking for the game on Saturday to bring a little bit of normalcy to your lives, um, the next couple of days probably are going to be a little bit on the edge of your seat, like wait to see if there's any more positive tests. Um, Justin Wilcox did mention that, and this is the key word here, could is the key word, but it could be significant positive tests. Um, so make of that what you will. But, yeah, I think the key word is could. We're going to need to see over the next few days to see how many kids actually test positive or if, you know, we're lucky and the football gods bless both of us. Uh, it'll just be that one kid. Yeah, exactly. I hope I, – I think everybody hopes we've been waiting this long that we actually get to see football on the field this weekend. It sounds like, you know, there have been other games postponed or canceled – uh, Florida has been backed up, and Wisconsin and Nebraska had their game postponed or canceled. But uh, at least those teams got to – fan bases got to see their teams on the field before it happened. So pushing this back another week just feels like uh, really rubbing it in for all of us who have been waiting for uh, almost 12 months since the last time any of us saw our teams play football. But let's – I don't know what's going to happen. It wouldn't do any good to write off the game entirely yet. By the time people are listening to this, there might be – uh, more information about that. Obviously, the way the Pac-12 schedule was set up, there aren't a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of wiggle room that's built in. Uh, not a, weren't a lot of options, kind of being stuck between state-specific guidelines for when practices can happen and uh, trying to get everything in before the BCS. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the college football playoff committee convenes. Uh, didn't a lot of time in between, so uh, we may not we may be previewing a game that never happens. But nonetheless, let's talk a little bit about the Cal Bears and how they match up with UW. Uh, starting with the most important position, the quarterback Chase Garbers was out for a, a few games last year, but in games where he played from start to finish, Cal I believe went seven and zero last year. Uh, he isn't you know doesn't get the kind of press that like a, a Justin Fields or. Trevor Lawrence does one of the top quarterbacks in the country, but he certainly has been successful. What would you say is the confidence level in the Cal fan base for Chase Garbers leaving the program? I mean, I, you know, he, he brought home the ax, uh, which I think is he's already cemented himself in Cal um, legendy, legend, legendary is, was, <laughs> would be the word. Um, yeah, he's already done that. I mean, we haven't had the ax in over – it was the tenth year, um, and he he brought it back home with that game-winning touchdown. So he's already found favor, um, and you know the, his explosion game last season was, of course, at Old Miss, which is you know to go to the SEC and to put up that type of performance. And then so and we had so we had so much hype, and then he hits the injury, um, and you know quarterback play downgrades significantly, um, and then he comes back and then roars into the big game, and then also the uh, Red Box Bowl. So I think the confidence is high. People are expecting him to take that next step. Um, the question is, can he do that and stay healthy? Um, of course, I, I think we're going to talk about you know the new offensive coordinator and stuff, and that plays a lot a big role into it. We'll see. Um, we'll see what his role as the quarterback is going into this new offense. Yeah, so let's talk about that new offense. Uh, we've talked, Husky fans have talked ad nauseum about bringing in a coordinator who spent the last few years in the NFL. Uh, that was an even more uh, abrupt and 
strong swerve away from the collegiate offense and the Cal uh, coaching staff by hiring Bill Musgrave, who hasn't been in college football since 2002 with Virginia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vast majority of his career has been as an NFL assistant coach. What do you think that will translate to in terms of the team's overall offensive style moving away from the more uh, you know, spread it out past happy offense or at least uh, philosophy? And what do you think that will translate to in game plan for this specific game? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, it's it's tough because, we, you know, as, as beat writers, we got to watch the first four uh, practices in the spring before COVID shut everything down. So we didn't get to see much of what off uh, what Musgrave was trying to bring into the offense. And then us as writers, of course, we're trying to pump out some content. So we started analyzing the pit stops he's had in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. And it's just, it's just so dice, right? He was the offensive coordinator in, in Minnesota with Adrian Peterson. So that was like a super run-heavy offense. Then he was the offensive coordinator under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, with, you know, Nick Foles and all the, the spread stuff that he first brought in there. And then he was the offensive coordinator here in uh, here, as I mean, here in California uh, with the Oakland Raiders with, I think, uh, our best year as a pro statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that offense is, was definitely a pro style offense. So it's it's hard to find a gauge of what he bring exactly in the playbook to Berkeley. That being said. The, the first few things that we saw during spring ball was them running a lot of play action. I think that was a big part that they were trying to install because we ha- we didn't do play action, right? We did read options, RPOs. Um, that that was our that was our offense under Bill Baldwin. So if that's the case, it does look like we're going to be you know not run first, but very very traditional looking offenses, lots of play action, um, looking to our running backs to make plays, looking for our wide receivers. Um, there's also a bit of the Erhard Perkins system uh, that he's bringing to Berkeley. And for those who don't know what the Erhard Perkins system is, it's pretty much what you see Tom Brady when he was with uh, the Patriots or with um, Peyton Manning when he was with Indianapolis. Um, it's the ability to change the concept piece of the wide receivers on a specific side uh, if the quarterback doesn't see something like or if they want to take advantage of a matchup that they see. Um, so it could be like a levels concept on one side, but he sees something from the defense. He can call out a hot word to that one side of the field, and it totally changes up the route running concepts. And the guys have to, the wide receivers have to know what their new uh, routes are. So it gives a lot of flexibility to the quarterback. And he did say that they're bringing some elements to that to uh, to Berkeley. So Chase is going to have a little bit more, um, and he's a junior now, so I think the the speed of the game shouldn't be an issue, of course. It's just a matter of, can he get the keywords down? Can he get the playbook in his head? And, you know, from when I talked to him, he said, you know, he's had enough time to soak it all in. It's just a matter of getting on the field and getting a feel for it with the ball in his hands and the, his wide receivers. That makes sense. I, I, I You mentioned the uh, Earhart offense, which uh, – peaked uh, triviality on my end. If people who've listened to this podcast before have probably heard me talk about growing up 
in North Dakota in Fargo, where the FCS powerhouse North Dakota State is. And Ron Earhart's first head coaching job was at North Dakota State, and he was actually the athletic director there before he moved into coaching in the NFL for the Patriots for a long time and and, uh, was part of the development of that offensive system. And I was just trying to look while you were talking if his career actually overlapped with uh, Bill Musgrave anywhere. I don't think he ever actually coached him, but that doesn't mean that there aren't similar uh, mm-hmm. branches on the coaching tree of them overlapping. And that's, that is, uh, that makes, I think that's something when you have an experienced, intelligent quarterback at, like Chase Garbers appeared to be when he was healthy last year, it makes sense to give him a little bit more control over the offense and they can probably get some of the mismatches that won't be in the Bo Baldwin style offense just by him being able to read a defense. Uh, one thing that's a little bit more up in the air, I would think, is what the defensive alignment is going to look like. There were a lot of significant playmakers on Cal's defense last year. Uh, Evan Weaver, Jalen Hawkins in particular, probably haunting uh, most dog fans' <laughs> dreams. It really was, especially Weaver with the chance for him to theoretically have come to UW and just didn't work out. But there's been a lot of turnover. Uh, what do you think will be the biggest strengths and weaknesses of the defensive unit coming to this game? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, when you lose two guys or three guys to the NFL, two guys getting drafted, sadly Weaver was – or actually Weaver was drafted. He was drafted uh, at the very end by the Cardinals. So, yeah, so we had three guys get drafted, um, and it's tough to replace that type of production. Um, but in terms of the strengths, I think the defensive backs still are the strengths. Cameron Bynum, uh, an all-pack 12 corner, said he's coming back after foregoing this year to, to prep for the NFL as soon as the Pac-12 announced – they were, they were going to have a season. He came back. Elijah Hicks, who was the other starting corner, moved from corner to safety around full season. So he's been taking a lot of reps there. And then Josh Drayden actually might have been the starting another starting corner, uh, but they asked him to redshirt last year, so he played four games. And so now you have him, who's listed at the starter at corner. I do think he's going to be playing a more nickel. Um, so the guy behind him on the depth chart, which is, uh, we call him Chiggy, but Chigozi Anusium is the guy that everyone's raving about, particularly the players. They loved his work ethic. They love what he can do. And so that's the probably the other big name that you're looking for. Um, and then Ashton and Jalen, as the two safeties were leaving, people ask, like, who is the guy that you want us to look after in the room or look at? And he, he said, uh, Craig Woodson. And, you know, we make that joke of, if your last of your initial spell out C Woodson in your defensive back, you know you got to be pretty good. So, you know he's the the room raves about him. Um, I think that's easily the strength of this room. There's still question marks at the production of some of the other spots in in the front seven, particularly at nose guard and inside linebacker. Next to, of course, Coin Dang. I think he's going to get his stats. Whoever lines up next to him um, is going to be a question mark of can he fill in. He doesn't need to fill in Evan Weaver because I think Coyne's going to do that, but can you get that at least that .75 type of production next to him um, that you don't have a glaring hole there? Yeah, and yeah, it's a good point. Also, I, I like the Woodson name, and and st- uh, stretching that out to Rod Woodson, you've got probably mm-hmm. one of the best last names for a position group in any sport that I can think of. I'm sure there are some other ones out there as well, but that's a pretty good start. So taking that all into consideration, uh, you know, again, we don't know that this game's actually going to happen at this point, but assuming it does, and knowing what you know about uh, UW from having spoken to Gaby earlier and knowing what you know about uh, the Bears and their personnel for this season, what do you expect the final score to be on Saturday? Oh, boy. 
uh, final score prediction. Ooh, I honestly think this is going to be a close one. Um, it's, I think it's uh, one of our editor in chief, Nick, said it best. It, it's kind of a strength on strength type of thing where mm-hmm. I think the Bears actually might have a more experienced offense, uh, but the especially the defensive backs of the Huskies with Elijah Molden particularly so coming back. Um, looks very, very strong and might the best unit in the Pac-12. Um, or what's it, uh, Pac-12 podcast guys, please don't hate me for saying this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's that's the battle that's to watch, and it's how much can Cal's offense hit the ground running, uh, particularly with the new scheme and, and the play calling. So I'm gonna, I, I honestly think that this game is going to be a defensive slug um, of a game, and I don't know if Husky fans like this because the last two games have been defensive slugs. Uh, the fun stat that I threw out to Gavey was that uh, Chase Garbers has beaten UW twice, but not but has not thrown a single touching uh, pass <laughs> touchdown against the Huskies. Yeah. So, uh, so that so with all that, I think it's going to be one of those games where it's like seventeen fourteen, um, or like to go on a limb and say seventeen twelve. I like that. Um, field goals or exactly throw a couple safeties in there. Yeah, <laughs> just for, uh, yeah, just for two good field measure. goals, three safeties. Yeah, uh, I, I I definitely agree with you that this is. I imagine it being a close, low-scoring game. I, I've seen some of the advanced stat models like SP Plus and I think FPI both had uh, UW as a, a heavier faith than that. I think SP Plus's projected score was something like 33 to 22. 22 also very weird football score, not as weird as 12 probably. Uh, I don't think the Huskies are scoring 33 points in this game. Part of that is just because it's hard to visualize not knowing who the actual quarterback is going to be and, and what the offense is going to like. It's hard to imagine scoring any points like that. But I, I do think, you know, if both teams crack 20, it's going to be just barely. You know, I could definitely see something like a 24-20 final score or something along those lines. Uh, while we have you here, I always love hearing from people uh, about kind of their – uh, history with a specific program and some of the traditions they have. I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, some of your uh, life with the pack, with the Cal football team. Can you tell me just from your own history, what is your best in-person memory of Cal football? Ooh, so are we talking like a game I've watched? You know, it doesn't. Like it could this? be a game you watch. It could be a, a really whatever like thing that you feel like really cements your fandom more than mm. anything. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, my freshman year at Cal, I was very blessed. Um, the 2007 season, Cal fans do not want to remember the 2007 season, uh, just because of the sheer trauma of being number two in the country and then losing to Oregon State at the homecoming game. Um, and then dropping, I think, five out of the last six games of the season. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of trauma there. But for me in particular, um, the 2007 season as a freshman here at Cal, like, you know, Deshaun Jackson's on the team. You have um, Justin Forsett as the starting running back. You had future stars like Javid Best and Shane Vereen at running back. There was a and Marshawn's cousin Robert Jordan was one of the wide receivers. Uh, longtime Tennessee Titans um, wide receiver Lavelle Hawkins was one of the wide receivers. Like the team was stacked, um, and they were so much fun to watch. And I remember going to my first game, which was against Tennessee. It was ESPN primetime here um and that was the the wizard of returns game the deshaun jackson punt return um which i can still play back in my head vividly from my point of view in the student section um and 
the place was packed. Uh, Andy, my co-host, we went to Cal together, and uh, we talk about how we've never heard Memorial Stadium ever that loud, and it hasn't been that loud ever since. And we know that that's possible, which is why we, you know, yearn for the for the days that Memorial Stadium will sound like that at some future under Wilcox. Fingers crossed, knocking wood, doing all the superstition stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely um, my my biggest one, and that's probably what cemented me into being a like a avid Cal fan. Remember that 2007 season? I remember that team. That was a really interesting team too. But I remember more than the team specifically that the number two spot in the rankings mm-hmm. was kind of cursed that season. I remember yeah. like every time a team got up to number two in the country, they immediately lost. That it cycled through a bunch of like non-blue blood type programs. Uh, like West Virginia got there at one point, I think. And I think South Florida was ranked number two at one point and then, like, lost a Thursday night game or something. I don't know why I remember any of this, but that was a very strange season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So keeping that in mind, those are the favorite memory. Do you have a favorite player from Cal uh, from either, you know, historical times or something more recent? Man, that's, that's, uh, that's tough. I still think my favorite player of all time has to be Javid because uh, we are the same year at Cal. Um, I was Facebook friends with him until he deactivated his <laughs> Facebook. So I take I take pride in that uh, to a certain degree. Uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah, Javid or Shane, uh, they were both in my class at Berkeley. So, you know, to to see, like, a the guy the same age as you being able to put up those types of numbers and play like that on the football field, like, was just – it was amazing, um, and some of the memories that he gave us as Cal fans, I think, still to this day, are some of the best running back memories. Even though we've had a slew of really good running backs um, in that time period of like the mm-hmm. 2000s, heading into the early 2010s. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, the ones you just mentioned, even Shane Vereen, and just kind of all at the same time, Javid Best and and Marshawn, not all that long before that, is mm-hmm. really. Uh, like churning them out year after year. And it wasn't a mirage. It wasn't like a, you know, system types of guys because they were good beyond that too, or at least uh, when they were able to stay healthy. And I invested heavily in Javid Best in a, a dynasty fantasy football league. <laughs> Went off the rails when he was injured. So I was kind yeah. of proud of that for him. I think he could have been a really good pro too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one final thing. I don't know why I have this association. I mean, I do. It has to do with the people who host the tailgate I go to. But I, I when I think of going in person to college football games, I it I always associate that with food. Uh, so tell me, is there a place either in the stadium or around it, what's the best thing or place to eat uh, either before, during, or after a Cal game? Ooh, I'm going to say the food inside the stadium is not that great. <laughs> That's not so, abnormal. I, so I don't know. away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, away from eating at the stadium. There's the food culture around Berkeley is great. Um, players talk about it all the time how they never thought that this type of like this. He, they didn't know that you know there was this many variety of cuisine available to them. So <laughs> I think you can you can get a lot. Um, the you know the big trademark ones for a lot of visitors when they visit Berkeley is to get Top Dog, of course. Get yourself a, a nice uh, Frankfurter or. Um, you know, hot link or chicken apple, you know, either before or after the game on your way out, out of the stadium. It's a little bit ways down, but you can still walk over there. Um, and then right down the street, of course, is uh, what we call the Asian ghetto. It's just a couple of, you know, restaurants. There's like an Italian place, a Mexican, a Thai, Chinese, Korean. Um, the Korean spot is one of the players' favorites because they give you a healthy portion of meat and rice and veggies. So 
I think that's a, always a good spot, and it's college prices, right? So like everything's you know under twelve bucks at the most. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably yeah. where I would veer new people um, that have come to Berkeley. I love it. That's great. I. I have been very sloking off Pac-12 stadiums from my list, and, you know, someday if there are in-person college football games again. I mean, right now I just settle for watching a game, a Pac-12 yeah. game on TV, but someday maybe we'll get down there for see a Husky-Cal uh, Bear game in person, which would be excellent. And then, yeah. from what I understand, not that hard to get tickets. No, no. offense. Yeah, not, your not, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. And if you do come down, just let know we do have a tailgate uh, that our, our site does, like with our writers, so – I, you're more than happy to to join us um, and enjoy the the scenes up until game time. Awesome, sounds great. Well, thank you. Let's keep our fingers crossed, Rob, that we are going to play this game again. It's Rob Wang from the Write for California blog. If you haven't already, go back and listen to Gaby uh, coming on their podcast uh, over, uh, I guess, last week. It's exciting to think about this new burgeoning rivalry, the history of Justin Wilcox, tight games the last few years. Hopefully we can avoid this becoming a full-fledged curse with the uh, last year, the thunderstorms, and this year if there's a COVID outbreak and we'll actually play the game. Uh, and it won't turn into something spooky and eerie that we all want to avoid year after year. Thanks again, Rob. It's been great talking to you. Uh, for the listeners, stick around. We're going to be right back with our very special guest, who's actually just Max, our editor, and we're going to talk about the death chart. Welcome back. As I said before we went to commercial, we would be joined by Max Vrooman. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on to talk a little bit about the death chart. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. So since the last time we had a podcast where was a, there was a 2D released by the coaching staff, it was kind of hard to tease out how much of this was sincere versus how much of it was either, you know, something like gamesmanship versus just trolling the media. Um, the first thing that clearly wasn't a sincere uh, depth chart was the quarterback position. We had a pretty good idea. It wasn't going to list the starting quarterback, but instead it just lit all four candidates uh, with a slash in between them. So what we've heard, we don't know anything yet, but we, rumors that have trickled out are that Jacob Sermon, by his first name, is kind of out of the competition at this point. We've heard that maybe Dylan Morris will start. We've heard that maybe Kevin Thompson will start. We've heard that maybe they'll share time between the two of them. We don't have a great idea. Uh, where uh, is the, the weather vane pointing in your head right now in terms of what we're going to see on Saturday if we see a quarterback take the field, which one it will be? Yeah, I'm leaning towards Dylan Morris, uh, which there's nothing of substance for me to go on outside of the fact that kind of all the talk of using two quarterbacks makes me think that um, you really want your second quarterback in that situation to bring something very different. And if they were going to go with, and again, I'm not convinced that we are going to go with two quarterbacks, but the, the talk of it would have made a lot more sense to me if, we were going to go with a more conventional passer as our starter, and we we're going to have Kevin Thompson be available to kind of go in and essentially replace our wildcat with somebody who's an actual quarterback, um, which I guess would be would be generally an upgrade, maybe not an upgrade over Richard Newton's wildcat, but in all other circumstances. So I, I in my head, I'm kind of I, I had been convinced for a while that it was going to be Thompson. I might be faking myself out now and just think too hard about it and thinking that uh, someone else is going to win the job and that Morris seems like the most likely candidate if it's not going to be Thompson. Um, so that's kind of where I've been leaning more and more over the last last week or so. Uh, but it would 
surprise me not at all if uh, Kevin Thompson's out there for the first snap and we all just say, we brought in a grad transfer and he's starting. Shocker. Yeah. I mean, there's there are things kind of like ex post facto rationalizations for any of the different options. With Morris, we can look at it and say, well, yeah, he's the only guy in of the candidates who seems like a competent runner and passer. And the coaches have been saying all along they want somebody who's good at both. Uh, you know, that's dis- probably discounting Thompson's arm a little bit, but uh, certainly more has a stronger arm than Thompson does, and he can do a little bit of everything, except he's probably a little undersized, but kind of can do a little bit of everything else. So it will be, I mean, I, even maybe leaking out that it could be more than one quarterback could be taken as gamesmanship, too, in the in the sense that that makes it, even if you, they did narrow it down to two guys, you have to prepare for somebody who's more of a passer and somebody who's more of a runner. So it definitely, we don't have an answer yet. Uh, another position where there was an answer, but it seems like it might not be the total answer, is at running back where Kamari Pleasant kind of upset everybody. I don't think anyone expected him to be one of the three most likely running backs to be listed as the starter for week one. What do you make of Pleasant being listed as the number one running back? Yeah, I had put as one of our 30-day countdown articles on UWDogPan.com, which you should go check out. Uh, to figure out who was going to be the rushing leader. And I included Pleasant on there, but none of the true freshmen. And I had a couple people commenting, being like, why would you put Pleasant on there? And I, I think Adams and uh, and Sunday have a better shot than him. But uh, here we are. Uh, I don't it's, – it's tough. I, it seems really hard to believe that Pleasant won the job. Uh, if you go back two years ago, he looked – pretty okay. His stats were pretty cool in just about every way to Sean McGrew outside of he uh, wasn't able to break quite as many tackles. But outside of that, he at least equally performed McGrew. But last year, there's just no getting around it. He was just not good with the football in his hands. Um, and even when the football wasn't in his hands, he missed some some key blocks in, in moments. So, I, I, I'm not really sure what to make of it. It wouldn't shock me if Pleasant ends up being a little bit more of a fullback in terms of his usage and they wanted to give the seniors some due, but that hasn't really been something we've seen a lot of. I went back through some of the previous step charts in previous years, and for the most part, the people that have been listed as the starters, if they, if they aren't starting, it's generally because of injury, uh, something like that. It's it's not because the the staff just totally throws a complete curveball. So it's it's tough to to tough to know quite what to make of it. I still don't think that Pleasant is ultimately going to lead the team in carries or rushing yards this year, but um, he could be the one out there to take the first snap against Cal or against Oregon State. Um, and it wouldn't it wouldn't completely rise me, but it definitely was not uh, anything that I expected to see when this got released. Right, yeah. I, I, nobody had that on the top of the list. And it, also, even though there has been kind of a historical trend to more or less stick to the depth chart, uh, that was with a different head coach and a different offensive coordinator. So there's another yeah. wrinkle of possibilities that maybe Jimmy just enjoys the, or, you know, indulges in the gamesmanship a little bit more than Chris Peterson was willing to do. So, Again, these are unanswerable questions to some extent. Uh, rest of the offense, maybe not as surprising, but two other omissions from the two deep that I think most fans probably expected to at least see backups were Rome Odunze at wide receiver and Devin Culp at tight end. 
do you attribute that more to other players kind of just leapfrogging them or establishing themselves, or is there any reason for concern with either of these guys who did get a fair amount of publicity during the camp? Yeah, I, I'm less concerned, I guess, about Culp in in some senses, just because I, there had been some talk in the offseason about him kind of moving into more of a H-back type role, which is maybe a little closer to what he was doing in high school, in which case it may be that they just don't see him as quite the typical tight end, and they didn't want to put that position on the depth chart. So I could still see Culp getting play even when he's not one of the three that's listed there. As far as Rome goes, I it just feels really hard to believe that he's not going to be one of the top six receivers on on this roster, given the amount that we have seen him and the hype that he's gotten from the coaches when we have gotten to talk to them. Um, when I when I went through that kind of historical look, which as you as you mentioned, it is technically a different different head coach and different OC now, but I just have to feel like Jimmy Lake's going to have a similar similar philosophy around these things. Um, and if you go to the backup positions, there are some where it, it very clearly was different from what they list. And I feel like especially at the at the wide receiver spots, um, there are a couple of those names. Last year, Quentin Pounds was second in the depth chart pretty much all year um, at one of the spots, and he played five offensive snaps the entire season um, while seemingly being healthy. So I think there's definitely room for the possibility that Rome's gonna going to be still featured to some degree on the offense um, and that they wanted to give some amount of credit. You know, I, I don't think that um, Jordan Chin's going to only get five snaps this year, but would it, would it completely shock me if uh, Rome is out there instead of Puka when Puka's not on the field rather than Jordan Chin? Uh, that would not surprise me at all, despite the two deep. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's, you know, trying to read between the lines. You could look at it and say, well, they put Pleasant on top of the running back depth chart. They left Odunze off the wide receiver too deep. Is this just kind of a tip of the hat to guys who have been around the program for a while? But then Culp would seemingly have uh, a head start over Mark Redman, who was listed as the number three wide or number three tight end as a true freshman. So it's not even like there's internally consistent. Uh, explanation for them. Yeah, but uh, it's also the senior. I mean, it, it might be the difference between seniors versus redshirt fair. sophomores. Yeah, um, yeah, that could be I, rather than just like a pure seniority. Senior day, uh, the basketball uh, team starting the seniors and subbing them out on the first dead ball or something, but doing that yeah. for an entire season with a depth chart maybe makes less sense. But it's just one snap. We'll do that. All right. Uh, so on the defensive side, probably slightly fewer surprises. Uh, maybe in the secondary, Alex Cook being listed as a starting DB, kind of doing the math, seems to be the safety next to Asa Turner, meaning he got the nod ahead of Cam Williams and Julius Irvin and Keller Gordon, who were probably all at least speculated to have an inside track at that uh, starting safety spot. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, Cook obviously converted to safety, so there should be some opportunity for him to grow in that position. Do you think that he really could be a standout in this position group that is full of really players? I mean, it, it's certainly possible. When you look at UW starting secondary over the last, you know, five-plus years, if you end up starting for them, you almost certainly become – somebody who's eventually going to be on an NFL roster for the most part. There might be one or two misses, but uh, other than that, if you, if you win a starting job at, as a DB at Washington, um, you got to have some serious talent. And it, it does to me a little bit that Cook is up there. I mean, he wasn't really someone that was thrown around. And I think maybe if 
the coaching staff had been a little bit more vehement. And maybe if you go back, they were, and we just kind of all wrote it off. Um, but I don't really remember that being the case. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, somebody who switched positions. So even though he's a little bit older than some of the players um, kind of below him, I think it's more reasonable to think that he'd a leap because of the fact that uh, he he was relatively new to the position. And so if you look at last year, it's essentially a red shirt in terms of learning learning the safety spot um, again after after not playing it since high school. Uh, it's not unreasonable to think that he made that leap. I'm also – we kind of for a while thought Asa and Cam being the, the safety duo made a lot of sense. But if you go back to last year, they were pretty much substitutes for one another. You didn't see a lot of both of them playing at the same time, which was partly because – I should say, I think we made the – it was because Miles Bryant was the other safety, but it could be that they just view their skill sets as a little bit more equal. So it, it makes sense to have one kind of be the backup for the other, and so they're looking for a different skill set alongside them. And I think it would have made sense, given what we've heard, for Julius Irvin to be in that spot or for them to have shifted Kyler Gordon and decided that they had to get his athleticism on the field some way. Um, but I think I'm probably less surprised about Cook than I am about anything. I'm, I'm probably still more surprised about Kamari Pleasant, but I'm, I'm less surprised about Cook than I am um, about maybe Rome being off of the two deeps. Sure. Yeah, that that does make sense, it is, uh, at least in the explanation that you gave. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on. I know this Gabe, you have talked ad nauseum about inside linebacker position over the last, uh, it's, I was going to say 12 months, but it's probably even longer than that at this point with the delays. Uh, it looks like Thurman was, at least on the dart, the starting inside linebacker next to Ula Fosho. Uh means he beat out uh, a couple, you know, Tafisi, Daniel Hamuli, who didn't even appear on the two deep, and Tupatala was the other backup inside linebacker. Sermon, you know, it seems to be a, an intelligent player, the, you know, coach's kid and everything. He definitely made some mistakes last year when he played. He didn't show great speed. It's kind of questionable whether he'll be – uh, ever be much of a pass defender uh, maybe you know he's young there's still certainly room for growth uh, what do you make of him as the second inside linebacker next to Ulfio yeah I think he's I think he's one of those players who's hopefully going to be solid I don't know that we're going to get you know he's not going to be I don't think the next the next BBK or anything like that but um, I, I have faith that he's going to be an upgrade over kind of that second spot which if you look at kind of Sermon being the Kyler Manu, um, which I think last year he was a clear upgrade over Kyler Manu, so it's going to be even even greater difference this year. Um, in terms of that fourth spot with the Highland League versus Tupatala, I think uh, Bob Gregory pretty much said straight up that Tupatala was, was the furthest along of all the refreshments, but then we happened to see Kind of a seemed like a lot of the Twitter clips where Haimuli was was in with either the ones or the twos it looked like, and so I think that kind of kind of made us all question that from Gregory. Um, but it, it, given the fact that we we saw Tupatala on the field last year and we didn't see Haimuli, which granted it sounds like Haimuli had some uh, injury things that may have been going on behind the scenes with him, which could have been a reason for that. But overall, I think this is pretty much the, the inside linebacker depth chart that I was expecting to see personally. Um, it wouldn't have necessarily shocked me if Haimuli had been that second linebacker. But um, overall, this, this looks like a clear upgrade last year, which is not exactly saying anything. But uh, 
hopefully, hopefully the results are there. Yeah, that's uh, two Bob Gregory mentions. I don't know if we actually mentioned it by name, but we were talking about the 2007 Cal defense with Rob Huang in the first section, and Bob Gregory was the coordinator of that defense. So everything comes full circle uh, as long as we actually get to play this game this weekend. Uh, so let's hedge our bets just a little bit in case the Husky game does get canceled. Is there anything else uh, either on this Pac-12 schedule or elsewhere in college football that you're especially looking forward to uh, on Saturday? I mean, Pac-12 football just in general, but that the, that first game of the day, that USC-Arizona State game, I, I have been really looking forward to. And the fact yeah. that it's 9 a.m. on Saturday means I get to, you know, I, I get up early enough that it's not quite wake up and immediately turn on the TV and watch it, but it's not that far off. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to see if the USC hype is at all warranted or if this is an example of USC hype going getting way overblown considering their head coach, which last time I was on, I believe we, we talked about this uh, once the Pac-12 uh, schedule got released. So I, I'm really looking forward to that game. Uh, other than that, I, I, I think the, the Florida-Georgia game should should hopefully be good this weekend. Um, well, I, should, I don't know about good, but hopefully competitive. It's the Georgia defense against another team. So I guess Florida has a good enough offense to maybe be able to put some points, but in general it's not exactly the most aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. They got rid of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party name for the game, and now they just get rid of the fans um, almost altogether. So it's, like, just deteriorating year after year. And then we've got Notre Dame-Clemson coming up, too. So it uh, will yes, be. Yes, yes, and, yes. And, 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 you know, seemingly, last I heard, no Trevor Lawrence. So, uh, right. you know, Notre Dame falling ass backwards into another college football playoff spot where they'll lose by 46 points, just like seems to happen every year. Uh, or every third year, maybe, is the way it works out. Yeah, not every year. Yeah, so it should be a good uh, Saturday, even, you know, hopefully this Husky game goes off without a hitch and we are to avenge all of the past indiscretions with Cal. Uh, if that doesn't happen, there's still going to be lots of other good stuff to pay attention to. Uh, for non-football things, any uh, recommendations? I, I have on our outline recommendations or plugs, but I don't, as far as I know, you don't have any uh, upcoming stand-up shows to plug. So anything that you would recommend watching other people do? Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty pretty confident I'm not booked anywhere for stand-up, but I'll double-check my other on that one. You. <laughs> Make sure if anybody you wants me, hey, I am. I actually I'm not I'm not really available. I think I think uh, now that now that we're into uh, Husky football season with Husky basketball season on the horizon, I don't don't have that many free nights out there. Uh, but yeah, I. I I would say between between getting ready for the for the start of the Husky season and uh, certain political events in the last week, I cannot say that I have given a lot of time to other things. Uh, this isn't quite a watch plug, but uh, I, I've been a been a fan of the Binge Mode podcast series, and they started Binge Mode Marvel uh, this last week. So if you're a if you're a Marvel Marvel movie cinematic universe fan. Uh, check check that out. Give that a listen. Gives you an excuse to go back and and rewatch those movies, which are generally a good time. So that that's the that's pretty much all I got in terms of non non football yeah. politics. I mean, that's a double content. plug. It's like a, a a plug for a podcast that plugs things. So it's it you I yeah. think cover yourself for the next time you come on too. Um, nice. I have I'm excited about uh recommending a movie. A movie I really really liked. Uh, it's brand new. It's called Shit House. I don't think you have to bleep that because we don't have any standards. Uh, but it's 
not just like an independent movie. It's it was like a student film that uh, this guy made like 30 minutes or something of the movie and somehow got it to the Duplass brothers on Twitter, like sent them just a link on Twitter to his uh, student film that he made. And they were like, we love this. We're going to help you finish it. And so they helped him get a couple of legitimate actors that people have seen before and helped him get equipment to finish making the movie. Uh, the, the premise of it is it's a guy uh, moving cross country from uh, Dallas to Los Angeles for his freshman year of college. And he's pretty uh, introverted and shy, trouble adjusting to the social life of college. Uh, and it's, God, it is like so emotionally resonant. Like, it's very easy. Maybe, maybe for me in particular, I don't know if other people had the same reaction, but I think even uh, more outgoing people will be able to recognize some of the like feelings of being out of place and things like that. God, it's a good movie. It's extremely well made. It won uh, the the first prize, whatever they call it, at the South by Southwest Film Festival. It was made for, uh, I, I believe, a budget of under $100,000. Uh, uh, Cooper Rafe is the name of the writer, director, uh, star of the movie. And uh, it, it's currently at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. If you have an hour and a half to, uh, you know, free of free time, it is just like a really, really good movie. And it's very different from kind of the homogenized um, large budget movies that get through um, large production companies and things like that. So I'm kind of talking uh, at length, probably should have just shut up after the 96% Rotten Tomatoes, but hopefully that's convincing to people. I'd love to hear from people who end up watching it. It's a very cool movie. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off tonight, Max? Uh, just, just hoping, hoping there's a game. We've waited, what, 10, 11, 12 months, uh, and, uh, I guess one more week wouldn't necessarily kill us, but I just, I just had the flash through my head of what happens if the Huskies beat Oregon but lose one game before there, and we end up losing the Pac-12 North title because we're <laughs> four and one with a win over Oregon, and Oregon is five and one with a loss to us. Okay. And five and one is out four and one in the tiebreaker scenario. Anyways, that that flashed through my head, so I just really don't want that to be the way we lose the North. <laughs> well, it's also like we've become so accustomed to to just like sitting here passively, really, really hoping for something to happen that we have almost no control over, uh, both through you know many months of COVID related things and then an election, and now we finally seem to be most of the way uh, through at least one of those things, and it's like okay. Finally through that election, now let's watch some football, and then we just get back to this state of, like, high-tension, uh, refreshing Twitter and things like that. So I guess we're just doomed to do that for the rest of our lives. That seems like a fitting way to end it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, and good luck. Hopefully we'll play the game on Saturday night. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.